We were fat teens back when plus-sized meant anything above a size 12. Life was brutal. A bloodbath. Today, we look different, but still see the world through the lens of our fat girl experience. Because once you go fat, you never go back. This is Full Fat. We work hard, we play hard. Cliché, and in my case, not true, I play pretty light. (laughs) Yes, knowing you as well as I do, Nat, I would lovingly say you're wound a teeny bit tight. I am feeling the love in your shade, and... It is It is true. I am hoping to get some fun spo from our conversation today. Well, I say we blow off some energy on the playgrounds of life that we will be discussing in this episode, Nat. Some literal, some metaphorical. Uh, yes, today we'll chat about how being fat kids influenced access to play and how we played. Barriers to being playful and perhaps most importantly, what play means and looks like for us today. Kind of going way back, Sam, you know, we've talked about the playground. I've alluded to running shoes and monkey bars, you know, the quintessential ingredients of my childhood playground, replete with many memories, some good, mostly traumatizing. Mm -hmm. I want to start with you, though, because I'm curious both about the Aussie context and also your experiences as little fat Sam. What was that like for you? From an Australian point of view, I'd say like the one thing I think of when I think of play and like the playground is heat. Like Australia, you just imagine like frying an egg on asphalt. Like that is what I think of when I think of play. And kids would run themselves ragged on the playground at school. And that never suited me. I remember feeling left out a lot. Like kids are so cruel in playgrounds. Like that game where you just run away from someone and then you're the one standing there going, oh God, I've got no one to hang out with at lunchtime. Like I'm sure I gave as much as I got, but whether it was in my head or, you know, in reality, I do remember kind of never feeling like I fit in a lot of the time and going off into fantasy. Like I played fairies a lot. I was obsessed with fairies. I remember lots of things off limits when it came to play, like ballet, dance classes, kind of typically girly I guess I was a you know cis heterosexual female girl that was the kind of stuff that was put on you in the 80s was like go learn ballet that type of stuff I never really did a lot of that because of my body and how I felt in it well also so many of those things I found were restrictive simply because they required some kind of uniform it's like excuse me does this tutu come in size uh 16 for women like absolutely the fuck not totally yeah uniforms were such a big thing I just remember everyone would be getting excited for the dance concert and literally from like term one, all I could think about was the point at which this compulsory class at school would turn into a fitting. (laughs) Totally, totally. um, And I remember also being given like roles in the school play that were like male roles and actually turning them down because it was just, I couldn't handle like, it wasn't that I was a prima donna yet, but it was just that like I couldn't handle the idea of being... (laughs) what's the opposite of emasculated? But I guess that's what it was, you know, like, I don't know what that word is, but like, I felt like already that girliness in me was diminished because I was in this different kind of body that, you know, that, that I wasn't supposed to have, you know? Absolutely. It almost seems to me like it's an erasure of your girliness and femininity just due to your body size. Yeah, for sure. I can relate to that. I got cast as the troll in The Hobbit. The troll. Brutal. Brutal, Natalie. <laughs> It would have been great, though. Did you? Oh, it was amazing. I killed it. Of course. I killed it. 
I think a lot of my play ended up happening kind of behind closed doors, like at home. So like I was obsessed with fashion fantasies. I used to just sketch on a sketchbook Mm. and I would sit there and just fantasize about these beautiful outfits. And my mum, even like during my childhood, had a secondhand kids clothing store called Wear It Again Sam. (laughs) And I remember like when I went away to camp, because I was lucky enough to go to a camp this summer, my mum actually got a friend of mine from primary school in to model in her secondhand kids clothing store fashion parade. And I remember feeling so shafted. For sure. And then food play was another one. Like I used to love pouring over cookbooks in the library at school. I think my name was like repeatedly in that like Dewey Decimal stamp thing at the back of the library book. It was like cooking for kids, Sam Luck, Sam Luck, Sam Luck, (laughs) (laughs) multiple times. And I used to love like microwaving jelly candies and doing experiments like if you could involve food mocktail competitions i was into it oh the the microwave endless sources of entertainment endless it could melt it's like will it melt yeah will it melt that was one of where were you when i was a kid i feel like you and i would have on the other side of the ocean gotten high off each other's supply basically but um (laughs) how about you nat well I, i could relate to things about not when you were talking about not feeling like you fit in with the culture of play in Australia, like running yourselves ragged from, for me, it was a lot of just not being included. Like I wasn't included. So I, it was a lot of observation for me. So for instance, um, you know, tag was huge. It's such a classic, like kind of playground and every iteration and very like variation of it so a big one for us was cops and robbers which now looking back problematic (laughs) um and so we'd play the cops and robbers tag or freeze tag or whatever and i just remember being on the sidelines like we had these wooden it was like this this wooden fence that kind of bordered the playground that was under some kind of pine trees and i i remember very well many a recess sitting there with my snack watching the kids with um i can't remember when you put your toe in put your foot in and it would be eeny meeny money mo catch a tiger by your toe and you're trying to pick the it mm-hmm. and i would both be longing to be included but also so thankful that i wasn't because it's like i can't run more shit yeah so if you, if you pick me as the it in tag it's like i'm not getting you it's not happening <laughs> so i remember both of those things and what that for me led to was a lot of what I'll call like internal individual playing. So I did a lot of, I remember in the backyard, I used to love, we had these little metal bowls and I would take them outside and I would put water in them from the water hose. I would fill it with grass and clovers and flowers and dirt and be like, I'm making a potion and I'm making a potion for love, but just kind of this like playing pretend and making potions. And Mm. when I got a little older, one of the things that I used to really like to do was um, makeup. And so in terms of the Dewey Decimal System, for me, it would have been these these books by this very well-known makeup artist. And I talked about this, I think, in a previous episode, but Kevin O'Coin. And I think that why I was so drawn to makeup is it was a way of being creative and painting. And it was something that I could do. Like I could make myself beautiful in a world where I didn't feel beautiful. Like I knew how to create those looks and I became the person that friends talked to about that. A lot of, honestly, similar to what you're saying, yours were based on fashion. Mine was just like, let it go fantasizing and imagining. My go-to, like, I've only started to reveal this recently because it's something that I started as a child and carry through till this day. Mm-hmm. When I was alone in my house and to this day when I'm alone in my apartment, I talk to myself in a British accent. 
like <laughs> a la Coronation Street. <laughs> I don't know why I do it. Give me a sample. Give me a okay, sample. So it would be something like um, you're prepping dinner. And so I'm prepping dinner, and it would be something like. Am I gonna pop down to the shop after I'm finished making dinner? Do I wanna watch some <laughs> do I wanna watch some telly this afternoon? I'm not sure. I need to make sure that I've got some aluminium foil to wrap my takeaway in and I'll have to get oh some God. petrol for the car. I don't know why I do this. It's oh my it, God. it's a bastardization <laughs> it. of British English. But I just I just made up these little fantasies like and I I don't know what it was about and I, I it started with my dad used to watch some stuff on the BBC and PBS had a lot of British specials and I just something Extended. about little yeah <laughs> something it. about me just you know like some Angela Lansbury shit like I just really <laughs> speaking of that I find I'm, I'm I'm talking a lot about things related to make believe like makeup and my little private solo British fantasies and like, if I take the topic of make-believe on its own and pretending and fantasizing, I want to know, like, what are your thoughts? I think fat kids are brilliant at make-believe. Brilliant. Oh, we have to make-believe. It's mm -hmm. part of our survival mode. Like, there was the fashion fantasy make-believe. Like, when I used to look at my, like, stick drawings of the, like, body shape, they were sticks. <laughs> like, I would plan these outfits and I was like, one, where is someone your age going to get those? And two, like... Where are you going to wear them? And three, it's a stick figure, honey. So <laughs> there was that element, but there was also a bunch of like playing like I was okay when I wasn't. Mm. We mentioned uncomfortable clothing and uniforms. I was almost permanently uncomfortable in my clothes. There was always something that was kind or uncomfortable. So I was always acting like I was more comfortable oh, wow. in like a drama class or in a class in school where you knew that you had a big concert at the end. That was a thing. Just the joy out of those moments was kind of sapped by that. Mm. I won these like free acting, singing, and dancing classes from a radio competition when I was a kid. Oh my gosh. How did sorry, how did you win them? Because I wanted to be a radio announcer. So I would just be always listening. And <laughs> somehow I won these acting, singing, and dancing classes. And <gasps> as part of that, I got to be in this final concert at the end of the year after I'd been schlepping myself along to the classes. And the dance costume, leotard, was a thong. And I had, like, bike shorts underneath it. But still, like, I was kind of in my teens, but I just still felt like, whoa. And my mum, like, never let me live it down. She always still talks about it. She says it was the worst concert she has ever been to in her life. And she pulled me out of those dancing, singing and acting classes after. Even though they were free, she still insisted they were so bad. Just as a quick side note, how old were you exactly? 14. Okay, listen, dance instructor. Um, let's not be having 14-year-old girls creating freaking jailbait, walking out on stage in thongs and bike shorts. Like, that's kind of, that's borderline. I agree. I agree. It was totally random. And they were fluorescent orange and black. Like, give me a break. But yeah, my mom made it very clear that she thought that was inappropriate. There was also just the happy face, the poker face that you have to put mm. on. I'm not trying to say my childhood mm. was all, you know, dreary. It wasn't. But there was just a lot of not showing you how to crush on someone or not caring mm. what others said to you or, you know, that kind of thing. So make-believing that felt kind of like a full-time mm. job. Do you know what I mean? Like, did you have that too? Uh, yes. I know, ex I, I know exactly what you mean, especially, I you know, we've talked about it already, but 
pretending that I'm not hot when I am hot, pretending that I'm excited when I'm not excited. Like, I can't wait for the pool party. Yeah. Like, like a lot of pretending. And I will, I will say that honestly, to this day, that it has served me well. Like I have a relatively, you know, higher role in a institution. And I will say like, I've got a good poker face. Like I know how to be in a meeting and nodding and like, "Mm -hmm, absolutely. Those are really valid points when inside I'm like, (laughs) like, and I think that I've gotten really good at that from what you said, a childhood and an adolescence of just making believe that I'm great. I'm just like all of you. I'm not 300 pounds. Yeah. And I think like a decent level of stress control, like, Play isn't just limited to childhood. Like we still play in life now as adults and stuff like that. So I wanted to ask you about recovery and that change that you went through when you kind of first stepped into recovery and like your body changing. Like how did play change alongside all of that for you? That's such. That's so um, interesting. In terms of when my body changed, it's almost as if I wanted to reclaim all the play that I missed out on. Mm. A big one for me, um, and this was actually one I never really revisited. But I, I always wanted to take drama, and I remember when I was at ca- when I was in camp and I was a kid. And my mom still talks about it to this day. She actually had the opposite reaction to your mom with a review of my play. But at camp, she's Aww. like, "Natalie, you played Jafar and you stole the show." So, yes, I cross-dressed and played Jafar in the uh, the cultural Camp Toronto circa 1991 rendition of Aladdin, which was like horrific, and I'm glad it's not recorded on video. But I think that, like, I just wanted to do those things. Like, I never went snowboarding with everybody when I was in high school because I I didn't want to put my weight on the form. I didn't want to – because you had to put your weight. It was a safety requirement. Like, I'm not putting down freaking 297 pounds. I think I lied. Oh, I, I didn't, I didn't lie. Like, at risk, probably. Yeah, they'd probably be like, um, ma'am, here's this greased up ironing board. Thanks. <laughs> like, so what I found when my body changed before I actually technically got into recovery, but I did like my body got into a smaller size. I, it's like I wanted to do all of these things. So I, I signed up for squash and then I tried squash and then I did belly dancing and snowboarding and I took an African dance class. I'm like, I'm going to do all the things that I couldn't do because I can wear the outfits now and I'm not scared and I'm not this. And honestly, I fucking hated all of them. Oh no. I didn't like any of them. Like I didn't, you know, I realized I like watching belly dancing. I think snowboarders look cool at the Olympics. Like I'm not enjoying myself and it took a really long time for me to realize that and then accept it. For a long time, I think I felt like a failure because I don't really like, number. I don't like coordinated dance. Like I don't like dance lessons. It, granted, like I did meet a, a, a date or two in those classes and that was lovely. But I, I just found I'm like, I'm not enjoying myself. And it took so long to realize that. But I just thought like, I'm going to, I'm going to reclaim all the things I didn't get to do as a kid And where I got to was, yeah, but how you did have fun as a kid was okay. Dive more into that. I mean, so Mm. I did a lot of things I didn't like doing. And I think in large part, that was straight up because I didn't know what I really liked to do, which I was kind of saying. It's hard, eh? Because sometimes you see groups of people and they're having such a good time and you're not having fun doing something and you're like, what's wrong with me? Like, are these people on some kind of drug that I'm not on? 
Like how are they just having the best time doing this activity that feels really meh to me, you know? I uh, 100% agree. An example, I went with a girlfriend to what's called a biography where they teach you the choreography for one of Beyonce's music videos like within within two hours. Let me tell you something. There's a reason why only Beyonce can do those fucking moves. It was horrible. I'm like, I don't know about you, but staring at myself in a mirror, trying to pretend that I look like Beyonce for two hours is hell. But everybody's laughing and having a good time. And I think, like, as I was saying, it's like, I just kind of tuned into the, well, you're failing at fun. Like, you're failing at, at playing. And I didn't really know what I liked. Like, what do I even like to do? Do, do you know what I mean, Sam? Oh, my God, Yes. Totally. And food was my number one hobby for the most of my life. So it's still one of my favorite parts of being alive. Like I still Mm -hmm. think I'll, I think I'll always be negotiating that line between healthy and unhealthy obsession with food. Like I'm just, I don't, I don't want to say I'm a foodie because I think that doesn't quite cut it, but like I I love it. (laughs) It's deeper. (laughs) Runs a little deeper, but I, I like to know that about myself today and, you know, that that windy road that I've had to recovery, that's become one of my hobbies today as well. Like I love listening to podcasts about all different kinds of disordered eating. <laughs> I know that sounds so lame to say that, but I do. I love hearing talks about psychology and human development. I love going to meetings. I love talking to other people, you know, depending on where I'm at in the week. Some days I don't love going to meetings, but, you know, I just enjoy that. That's become one of my hobbies too. And I think growing up heavy gave me this sort of hangover from being on the fringes of like what we call like normies, like normal kids and like um, Mm. what was like socially acceptable. So I used to accept a lot of invites to things I didn't want to do. And I would feel this sense of guilt whenever I said no, not because I didn't have friends growing up. I did. But I guess there was just this part of me that felt like if I say no, I won't get invited again. And like just wanting to fit in so bad and wanting to be what other people wanted me to be. And today I'm way more okay with that. But I have to watch myself because I also have the tendency to go full hermit in the woods. Like I could just be hanging out with Mingus, doing cat photo shoots with him and be quite happy. I know exactly what you mean. And I will say feline photo shoots with Mingus, a worthy pastime. <laughs> He's like, he loves the camera. He loves the camera, 100%. But I do pay attention to how different activities make me feel. Like I love playing my ukulele, not professionally, but I just love playing it and singing along. And that can really alter my mood. Like I said, taking photos of my cat at the park. Love doing that. Dancing merengue with my partner in the living room. Like we love to do, you know, because he's Latin American. So we love to do a bit of like Latin American dancing. Again, not at a professional level by any stretch. (laughs) Or just like seeing a movie on my own and just stretching out and having the cinema to myself. And yeah, I'll never feel like my partner like he's someone that has defined hobbies he loves photography and when he gets into a hobby he goes deep and spends hours on youtube and stuff like that i'm not like that i like a lot of things light so yeah i know we're grown but is play still a part of your life now how does that look today i i would say that play is a part of my life today and i think that a big part of i guess i'll kind of call it like finding my play is like, what do I actually like to do? Like actually in my stomach, like what is like, gives me that feeling of, ooh, yeah, that would be fun. And for me, sometimes it's, I guess you could say bigger things. Like I really enjoy, I really enjoy planning 
events that I think are going to bring other people joy or thinking about ways to make people feel special. So as a, for instance, like my, um, when it was hard lockdown a year and a half ago and it was the first mother's day, Mm -hmm. I know that my mom loves flowers. And I remember I found all of these really high quality, um, gifts of flowers blooming in, in kind of rapid motion. And I just made this beautiful email of all these flowers. So I really like doing things like that. I also, I love going to comedy clubs and part of what I love is like being in the audience and like interacting. I, some people hate sitting in the front row. I love it. I'm like, how are they going to make fun of me? Like, what are they going to say? Like, what are they going to pick on? And I think I, I love that. Yeah. Like they'll, they'll say, what do you do for work? I'm like, I'm in the mental health field. They're like, okay, pass. Like (laughs) (laughs) humor was something that I developed at a young age because it was a really great defense mechanism. It really helped me in terms of like Mm. creating social bonds. Cause if people are like, if you make people laugh, they're not making fun of you. So I love comedy clubs, but I also love really, really simple things. Like I, I like horror movies, even though they terrify me and I have to, you know, sleep with the light on for days afterwards. I like still, as I told you, I walk around my apartment straight up full blown BBC special by myself at home alone. Like just, I love talking in a British accent. I love magazines, paper ones. Like I, one of my favorite treats to do is to go to a convenience store and get like Mm. four or five magazines. Like, and I'm not talking sophisticated. I do like psychology today but i mean like people magazine and just pour through what are celebrities doing because i'm i'm more tactile i don't really love um reading kind of celeb websites and things like that and i think that for me one of the things in terms of the way that play is part of my life today is seeing me when i'm silly that is a very intimate thing to me um because and i think that that's born out of what we were talking about I couldn't play in the way that other kids could. Like I couldn't play tag. I couldn't wear the uniform. Like I had to, as you said, I had to pretend that I was okay a lot. So if you're really seeing me being vulnerable and silly and like, that's a very intimate thing for me because it feels vulnerable. It feels very vulnerable to let go and to play. And like, you know, a week ago I was doing some emails and just next to my partner in bed. And and for some reason we started like, making animal noises and i said well, like what's your favorite animal noise he's like well i think i'm pretty good at making like a wolf noise and we're just like laughing and <laughs> being silly like that is like feels very intimate and vulnerable not many people get to see me that way and so i think that we've definitely can both say that play is a part of our life today i i have thoughts on this question but i'm curious what do you think of the question what do you do for fun First of all, I feel like it's the kind of thing that someone really unfun asks you. Like, 100%. Yeah, it's like one of those first date, five-year plan type questions. It's just like, like, I think if you've spent a period of your life living in a really hedonistic fashion, it kind of ruins you for garden variety fun. Like, (laughs) as you said, when we were planning this episode, collecting stamps, it's like, yeah, I don't know. Some people will get that and some people won't. But like, if you know what I'm talking about, then you, you'll know. <laughs> Today, my fun is different. It's less high octane, less high fructose corn syrupy, you know, but it doesn't have a tail that comes back and whips you, which might sound really like recovery programmy-ish, but I'm grateful for that. You know, while you don't get those same like highs, I guess, of play, you also get to have that kind of more constant, like safe, kind of play um so yeah I I don't know that's my take on it and I certainly do not go around asking people like what do you do for fun because to me it's just 
I don't know. I feel like that's just innate. Like you kind of know or you don't. You're either a fun person or you're not. Like I don't think fun should require a lot of effort. I think the question, what do you do for fun? As someone who went on a lot of first dates uh, like a short time ago, it really is something that I feel for some reason, it instantly puts me on the defensive. Like you're being judged. Yes. Like you're being judged. Oh, let me come up. It's like, it puts me on the defensive because it's like, there's a list of things you're supposed to say here and I'm not adept at, at most of them. I'm supposed to say long distance cycling or long distance running or, and it's like, my favorite one is travel. Like, you know how people make, like travel is not a personality, but people try to make it a personality. And I think the same with hobbies. A hobby doesn't define you. Like, it's interesting. Yeah, sure, that you like rock climbing or whatever, but it doesn't a personality make. I agree. You've said that to me. That blew my entire fucking mind when you said that travel is not a personality. It's like, yeah. And sometimes for me, I, I would find that question made me feel like I need to perform. I need to say something that I do that fits into this box when the reality is like, what do you do for fun? And like, do you want to hear the real answer? Because it's putting shit in shopping carts online that I can't afford and then pressing the X button. Like I, uh, cause it's, it's fun. Like it's fun for me to walk around my apartment, talking a British accent, picking up magazines. You know, it's, it's fun for me to take time getting ready, uh, you know, for no reason and, you know, wear platform heels to the frigging grocery store because there's nowhere else to go for the past, you know, however long. But right on. there is a difference to me between what you do for fun. To ask someone what you do for fun, it's more like, well, I can't really answer that. It's like, I know it when I feel it. Like, I know what brings me pleasure and what feels playful for me. But I'm some of those things, like, I'm not about to tell you that. They don't need to necessarily be hobbies that we link arms and skip off into the sunset to complete together. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, last thing I'll say, what I like to find fun, my my partner has enhanced this need, like, finding stuff at the side of the road that's useful. I've gotten, like, I love it. I hate it when my partner does that. I don't know what it is, Sam. Do not bring home other people's junk, please. (laughs) What do you, what do you do for fun? I'm sorry. Have you heard of Facebook Marketplace? (laughs) Yeah. Selling and buying. Like, so it's a lifestyle. Welcome to my lifestyle. Welcome to my price points. Um, So I feel as if we uh, may be equipped to maybe give someone else some advice on fun or maybe not fun. Um, But uh, time for our dear fatties letter, I would say. Yes, I have it here. I'll, uh, I'll read it out. Dear fatties, greetings, big fan of the show. I have a slightly fatty related question. I'm from Ontario and restrictions have basically been lifted for things like movie theaters, gatherings, salons, restaurants, etc. While some are happy about the return to these things, I find myself completely overwhelmed. I come from a high controlling exercise bulimia history with food and weight. I work hard at my well-being now and admit it's not perfect, but I am trying. One of the things that I think helps me is scheduling and calendaring. I put everything in my calendar. Everything. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, grocery shopping, laundry, getting ready, shower time, sleep. Whoa. While to some this may seem intense, it is comforting to me. I've come to accept it. I think it's a healthier manifestation of what used to be planning calories in, calories out via hours of exercise, calculating calories burned by chores, etc. This scheduling was easy to do when everyone was in lockdown and to be honest, I loved it. But now that things are opening up, I find that friends and family are asking me to do things and I'm so anxious. I don't have room in my calendar and I feel bad saying 
I can't because I have to do laundry that night. <laughs> but I also hate how I feel when I don't stick to my schedule. Can you help? Longing for lockdown. Do you want to take the lead on this one, Nat? And I'll give my thoughts a little bit later. For sure. It's interesting. I, I'm really wanting to hear your perspective because you knowing me, I, I can relate more to this listener than I can to you. You know what I mean? Like you, you're going to have like a different perspective here. I think there's two things here. Um, longing for lockdown. I will speak to maybe um, what I want to speak to is what are ways that you can have fun and engage in pleasure and play as we were talking about in ways that feel truly good for you inside. And hopefully that that does incorporate friends and family. I think the piece that is separate to me is the level of anxiety I'm hearing ab about your schedule. And I think that it's important. I, I don't want to undermine that, that this sounds like something that is a it, it, I know you've identified it as a coping mechanism. I certainly don't think that um, this is something that, you know, throw it out the window and become a free-spirited, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of a person. Right. It's stabilizing for her, it sounds like, or for, for them. Absolutely. It's, it does sound like it's stabilizing for for them. I, I do think that, you know, I'm just going to invite you to maybe think about – does the level to which I need to stick to this schedule, is it really helping me or ha have I maybe kind of transposed one fixation for another? And I, I don't know. I'm certainly not a psychologist. I'm not going to pretend to be a therapist at all. I, I just think that that is something that I do think maybe you're ready for the next step. You know, maybe you're ready for taking one thing out of the calendar and leaving that to chance. And maybe that's something small like laundry. I'm just going to say that laundry is something that it'll fit in, it'll fit in somewhere. So I think I'll leave that, that piece, but in terms of pleasure and fun in a way that feels, you know, good and safe for you. One of the things that I was thinking was if the calendaring works for you, schedule in two times a week. If that's what works for you, schedule in fun and I, I know that some people might say like, oh, that's if you're scheduling in fun, then it's inherently not fun. I call bullshit. We People plan trips all the time. You have to book dates to go and have fun. You have to plan for time off work. So if what would maybe work for you, I would suggest starting with maybe two one hour blocks and fill that with something that you think is going to be genuinely pleasurable. And that I think will also put you in the driver's seat because I think that part of what's making you feel anxious is that you're not in control of these requests. They're coming in and you feel like you need to respond to them. Whereas if you have your fun blocks, however long and however many those are, you know that when those requests come in, you say, great, I'm free in two weeks at this time. Does that work for you? And I think that that's a way, I, I just think add that block to your calendar and maybe look at taking one of your other things out. So that's, that's kind of where I'm thinking, Sam, because I can totally relate to the person. I'm like, oh, great, just schedule it in. But what what are your thoughts? My first thought was when you said, I'm not going to act like a therapist. It made me think of my one of my favorite actresses, Catherine Han. You know, who plays like the therapist in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm obsessed with her. I'll watch anything that she's in. So anyway, that's how my brain works. So spontaneity is definitely a part of who I am. And I'm kind of the opposite to this person. Like I feel really 
um, unstable, when things are overscheduled. Like I'm someone that likes to have that space. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, they say overscheduling isn't great for kids. So I think the same goes for adults as well. I think we have to be careful not to wear our busyness as like a badge of honour. Mm. And not only can this be exhausting for you as an individual to have all of this, but it can be exhausting too for other people around you too because even though it's helpful, like I love it when you send me a calendar because I'm like, great, it'll remind me about what's coming up. Like it's helpful. Mm-hmm. But it also just always is like a little bit of a shock, like, ooh, mm. it's set in stone. Like a friend of mine and I have a joke where we would always, whenever we made plans, he would say to me, can I put it on the whiteboard? And I would go, yes, but I'm keeping the dust up because oh. I was terrified to lock things in and he he wanted to always schedule things because he was a scheduler, you know, and then later in life we would make jokes and be like, oh, we can pencil it in but I've got the the eraser and, like, we we still to this day make jokes about that. I would challenge you to put down some of your digital organisation tools outside of work. I think they're very necessary for a working yeah. situation, of course, but when you've got time off, I would try even just a 14-day period to practice mindful planning, just like people practice mindful eating, just to as an experiment to try it. I love it. Because what's the worst thing that can happen if you forget one of these things or if something gets thrown out the window or if you have to call a friend and say, I totally forgot our plans, I'm sorry. Like I think that sometimes there's this layer of pressure we're putting on ourselves underneath that and by not allowing ourselves to make mistakes it can just be a lot. And trust me, your friends are probably used to being that girl, the one that like, or that guy, you know, the one that lets you down or forgets or whatever. And if you're, if you just kind of show up and go, this is what I'm trying and it's a little hard and, you know, show some of that humanity, they're going to really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Maybe consider trying something like that for a period of time and just see what happens like leaving things open, like not planning your whole weekend and just waking up in the morning going, what do you feel like doing today? And just following your every whim for a whole weekend and just letting everything roll out spontaneously without planning. Does that terrify someone like you, Nat? (laughs) No, I'm so glad that you said that. Like, I think that for me, like as someone who can relate to this more, I was operating very much in my kind of advice for longing in in the calendaring box. And... (laughs) One of the words that I love that you said was mindful planning. And I think that for me, it relates back to what we were saying that it takes a long time to know what you like. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to say that that mindfulness and tuning into what you're really feeling is good and fun and pleasurable for you is is going to take patience. I do still think that this person is is someone who needs a boundary And I think that that's why I really like, try this for a week, say for a week, I'm not going to do this. And how does it feel? And then, so you know that there's a beginning date and an end date. And I don't know if you have access to, if you have funding to to have access to a therapist or a friend, you could even bookend that week, say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to check in with you at the end of the week. And and one thing I will say as well is that I think a lot of like when you said tapping into like, what do I really want? What do I really, I think that happens in the moment. Like we've all had that experience mm. where we've signed up for that dance class or we've said to our friend, yeah, let's go to a movie and have dinner on Friday night. And then Friday night comes and we do not feel like doing what we've committed to at all. And I think people talk about this a lot on social media, like cancelling plans and things like that. And I think we've gotten better at it, but it's like when you, 
make plans in the moment and when you're less hesitant to make plans, there's less of that kind of grudge feeling because you're ne- you're not always having to do things that you thought you felt like doing two weeks ago. I, I couldn't agree more. And one of the things that I so appreciate about our friendship, which is like the the opposite of me, is I know there's a lot of times where I'll say, do you want to have dinner tomorrow night? You're like, yeah. Because like you allow space in your life for the spontaneity and I appreciate it. And it's it's different than me. And I'll say one of the most radical, wild things I feel like I can do is ask someone to say, hey, do you want to see a movie this afternoon? It actually feels like I have gone into a store, put something underneath my sweater and walked out. Like, I can fly. Like it's... And I think that, and I would say, you know, the, the world needs spontaneous people and the world needs planners. But one thing that I would say longing too is take a page out of, you know, me and Sam's book and befriend people who are spontaneous and like ask them and learn from it. And it's, it, it helps in the same way that, I, you know, Sam appreciates things about my little planning ass. Oh, I love it. You know, I appreciate things about her. So I hope that that, you know, helps you a little bit. And and we'd love to hear back from you. Um, it does sound mm-hmm. like you could use maybe a little less Google Calendar and a little more feline photo shoots in the park. Yeah, Mingus is available for modeling shoots for a fee. He likes to be paid in hugs. Um, absolutely. I would pay top dollar in hugs for that Naomi Campbell uh, kitty that you have there. Um, and I, I have to say, Sam, I, I know we were saying it, saying it cheesily, but... I really do feel like I got some inspiration from this. Like I, I feel, I don't know. I, I feel inspired. I feel good. You got the fun spo. You're. Ad- I got the fun spo. As cheesy as it may sound, you are adorably cheesy, Natalie. Only the oldest cheddar, please, or a Beamster XO. Mm, I've never had Beamster. I'll have to try that. Uh, you absolutely do. If you want to reach out, ask a question, or share some experience, we are here for it, and we do take the time to respond to your emails. So send us one at thisisfullfat at gmail.com. On Instagram, we are at thisisfullfat. Our episodes drop the first and third Thursday of the month, so August 19th will be our next. It's going to be a super interesting one as Sam talks to special guest David Wiss about food addiction. Yes, trust me, you don't want to miss it. Till then, though, stay greasy, ladies. Stay greasy, ladies.